Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I am here with my co-host, Christy Brower. How are you? Hey, everybody. I am great. How are you? I'm good. We are enjoying some really gorgeous uh, summery weather. We're trying not to jinx ourselves. We almost shouldn't say the word summer. I know. It isn't July yet. (laughs) It's true. Last weekend, we went on our big annual family camping trip that we take over Memorial Weekend. This is a trip that literally Christy and I have been taking for our entire lives. I don't know that either of us have ever missed an yeah a Memorial camping trip. I don't think so. It's from the time I had was was a baby to dragging tiny babies with me. You know, yeah, those days. Uh, We've always done this. Now we do camp in a different place than we did when we were kids because. uh, the weather's better here. <laughs> it's also just nicer in general, but you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, it is. It's a kindness that has been shown to us from some of our family because mm-hmm. the land that we're camping on is adjacent to farmland that uh, it, it actually runs in between two strips of farmland that has well has two canals running between it, so it's not really farmable, but it's absolutely beautiful. I'll probably share a little video. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this as we're talking gorgeous, gorgeous place. The reason it's just such a special thing for us to camp there is because that land is family land uh, that's been in our family for many generations. Well, on the other side of that parcel of farmland is a cemetery. That cemetery, the land for it, was donated by this same family. And it happens to be where our parents and our baby brother are buried. And so and they grandma are. Grandma and great grandparents. Yeah. Lots yeah, of Tons people. of relatives. Yeah. And so this family uh, very kindly always leaves this area open to us to camp for Memorial Weekend so that we can be right up there close to our folks to go to the cemetery and all that stuff. And yeah. It, uh, I was reminiscing about this the other day that when our mom died, and you guys know when you have somebody die, what it takes, you know, all of the the funeral home and the cemetery and the Ugh. florist and, oh, my God, it's just so exhausting and painful. And mm-hmm. when our mom died, we had had an extremely painful experience at the funeral home Ugh. where we Ooh. basically had to fight the guy to get the stuff that we wanted and needed. Pretty much was really an odd experience. Mm -hmm. But then we went to the cemetery and what we had learned about the cemetery was that if you lived in the county where the cemetery is located, the plots are about an eighth of the cost as if you don't, Mm -hmm. which was no problem. Don't get me wrong. We could pay for that. It was no big deal. We had just learned that that was the case, but it was whatever. So we're talking to the sexton. We're choosing our plot. And our dad says, do I write you a check then? And he says, oh, oh, no, this has been paid for. 
And what we didn't know is that our absolutely wonderful and kind Uncle John had actually paid for those plots before we uh, even knew it. And actually, he kind of tried to keep it a secret. He didn't even want us to know that he'd paid for them because that's just the kind of guy he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, that just that touched me to my core. That kind yeah. of we all just stood there and cried. It was just it was such very a, sweet. Yeah, it was such a kind and wonderful gesture on such a hard, terrible day. And yeah. we're, so we're just so deeply connected to that place and to this, these guys. And anyway, so we camp there every year for Memorial mm-hmm. Weekend. And this year, of course, we woke up to a huge snowstorm on Saturday morning. Oh, did we? <laughs> Christmas snow, great big flakes. Yeah, it was crazy. So we, uh, you know, we did what any smart campers do. We loaded up in the car and we went to the Maverick and got coffee. <laughs> and then yes, we, we did. Yeah, then we holed up in my camper and cooked breakfast and played games for most of the day. And by about three o'clock-ish, it had stopped. By four, the sun was shining and things were drying out. And the rest of the weekend was gorgeous. It was. It's typical Idaho where mm-hmm. you experience every season in a weekend. That's not an yeah. uncommon thing for us. <laughs> it was 60 degrees the next day. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It, it can be a little tough to adjust to. And when you camp in Idaho, you you do bring clothes for every single season or you're mm-hmm. going to be very sorry. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So, yeah, we had quite the adventure, didn't we? We did. It was really fun. Uh, I also am glad to be home and sleeping in my own bed. Oh, yeah. Four nights yeah. of camper bed was pretty much my maximum. Me too. Had to come home. <laughs> Me too. Definitely. It, that's the great thing about camping. It's great to go and it's great to come home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we've been up to. And uh, But now the sun's are the sun is shining. It's gorgeous. I hope Ooh, yeah. it stays that way because I have really got all of my flowers and plants in and put all the herbs in and knocking it's on wood. And generally after Memorial Day, we don't have any more freezes. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are those uh, years that something sticks out. You never know. It's true. I've been out this week putting my herbs in uh, after the sun goes to bed because I don't do heat very well. And so I was out under the new moon. It was a new moon this week and now it's waning. So that's a good time to plant. So I was out mm-hmm. in, you know, a sliver of moonlight <laughs> planting my, uh, putting in some basil and some rosemary and some squash and a few things. And just thinking, uh, yeah, it feels like summer. It smells like summer. It does, yeah. Yeah. Knock on wood. Awesome. Well, speaking of being around here. Mm-hmm. We have had a lot of action here the last couple of weeks on the Vallow case. Sure a have. Few things we wanted to bring up and talk to you guys about. Uh, there's been a lot of things. Hmm. Um, JJ Vallow. Don't worry. A whole show's worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan are two missing children. I know this is not news. You guys have been hearing us. I think this is our fifth or sixth episode on this case. Seventh. This is seventh? our seventh episode. Holy Christ. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, but I always want to say their names first and foremost, you know, JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan are missing. They have been missing since September and it is, uh, you know, here we are, it is May and these children are still missing. JJ turned eight on Monday and there was a very sweet little candlelight vigil that some locals held at his elementary school, which is only a few blocks from my house. Mm -hmm. I went, I didn't get out of the car. There was um, just not a lot of social distancing happening, which is Mm -hmm. fine. No judgment there. But for me, that's not, I can't do that. So Mm -hmm. I did take some video and some pictures from the car and did uh, just 
do my own little thing for JJ in the car rather than get out into the crowd. But it was a very kind thing that they did. Yeah. So, and we'll share a little video of that here as well uh, while we're talking about it. But so JJ has turned eight and Tylee has turned 17. She was 16 when she went missing. She turned 17, I believe in October. So mm-hmm. both of these kids have now had a birthday, a Christmas, an Easter, a Valentine's day, a Halloween, a Thanksgiving away from people who love and care about them. Yeah. It's piling up. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. But I thought the candlelight vigil was very sweet. There were yeah. some uh, people that were really calling for that vigil to be done in front of Chad's house to put some pressure on him. Uh, what you have to know is that Chad lives in the country on a very fast road. Yeah. And it rather than uh, the only way you could do that is to trespass on his property. And he has no trespassing signs up all over the place. Yeah, he'd definitely call the police, I'm sure. Right took a little drive past his house a couple of days ago. And every time I drive past there, there's more no trespassing signs up. Yeah. yeah. So couldn't not do that. Couldn't I do that, saw but. a post on social media of someone who had made a t-shirt that said the kids' names or where are Tylee and JJ, I think. Yeah. And they'd put it on a piece of cardboard and sat it against like a light pole that was across the street from his house. Mm-hmm. I figured I it would that. probably be gone quickly. But people are, mm-hmm. people really are doing everything they can um, mm-hmm. locally to let him know that they know. Uh-huh. And that they are watching him and mm-hmm. that they, you know, expect him at some point to step up and be an actual decent human and mm-hmm. say what he knows. Absolutely. Lots of pressure. Uh, we're, we're hearing from uh, various places that uh, he's, there are calls coming into dispatch nearly daily with people just reporting yeah. that they saw Chad. Well, I told you that my daughter saw Chad. She got stopped at a stoplight next to him not mm-hmm. too long ago, and she absolutely lost her mind. <laughs> she called me screaming, Mom, oh my God, I was just next to Chad Daybell. <laughs> Did you ask him where the kids are? No? <laughs> Well, well there, was, there was uh, apparently he and his children have been dumping a lot of things mm-hmm. at the local um, transfer station to go uh-huh. to the dump. And whoever works there called the police and said they're dumping mm-hmm. all kinds of things from their house in case, you know, you want to. Now, that house has mm-hmm. been searched already. Um, yeah. But they yeah. were concerned that they might be destroying uh-huh. evidence or getting rid of things that. Mm-hmm. You know, they claimed had, that they came in several different cars. They came in a different car every time and that they had removed their license plates. Yeah. Which was a very strange thing to do. They were trying to uh, hide who they are, I think. Yeah, I think it's so. It's a small town, you guys. You can't mm-hmm. get away with anything. We no. Let me tell you how we know that. Our dad was a barber. And he <laughs> was the barber in town. He uh-huh. was everybody's barber, the, the judges, the police, you know, you name mm-hmm. it. He cut their hair. We couldn't get away with anything because somebody would walk in the barbershop and let him know immediately. Mm-hmm. But I came home from work. He would know about any shenanigans we'd been up to. Well, so that's any, the kind of town it is. Totally. And any town scandal, anything you wanted to know, he knew. Or oh, if yeah. he didn't, he'd find out in short order. Mm-hmm. That was the gossipiest place on the planet. It was. Yeah. But that's the that's kind of how this little town is. So oh, this family yeah. is not getting away with anything because mm-hmm. people are watching them constantly. Yeah, absolutely. I yep. see pictures of his house on social media like almost every day. 
Uh-huh. Or, or walking, walking down the by. street or yeah. 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 He's just constantly being surveilled by his neighbors. Yeah, he's under a lot of public scrutiny. Now, there are those that support him. There is that ridiculous Facebook page, Free Lori Daybell Vallow. Oh, my goodness. It is the, the dumbest, most state inflammatory of Idaho, you know. shit I've ever seen. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. They, they refer constantly to the fascist state <clears throat> of Idaho. Yeah. Um, and about, you know, how everything that uh, law enforcement has done and the courts are doing and, you know, it's all, um, you know, persecutory she has every right to hide her children she does not have to tell anybody where her kids are a lot of things like that yeah and at this point that is not true uh, because she is facing abandonment charges and so she does have to say what happened to her children or she's going to Mm -hmm. sit her butt in jail as she is right now yep on that note there was a court case or there was a a court date last week now, re- remember, or, or maybe you don't know, but there are more than one, uh, there's more than one case with Lori in the courts right now. Right. There's the criminal charges. That's why she's in jail. But there is also, has there has been a motion to sever her rights or her uh, custody of JJ and give it to Kay and Larry Woodcock. Now, that happened mm-hmm. when the... Judge ordered her clear back in January, February, when the judge in Idaho had ordered her to show up in Rexburg with those kids within five days. There was an order in place then that if the kids would have shown up, they would have immediately, at least JJ would have immediately gone into the custody and care of his his bio grandparents, who, of course, are Kay and Larry Woodcock. Yeah. Um, Now, that didn't happen, but that that... Is still working its way through the courts because if JJ does turn up, that's what's happening. Right. And now what will happen for Tylee? Tylee's 17. She will probably just have the choice to live with her brother or her aunt or, you know, yeah. if, if the children were to turn up. So mm-hmm. that that's what that case is about. But that's not a criminal case. That it's, you know, that's, it's not it's civil a, either, right? Or would it, it be called? It's, it's a child protection case. Right. Okay. So uh, last week they had a court date and Lori didn't seem to know about it. Uh, when the bailiff came and got her out of the jail to take her to the court, you know, into the courtroom, she had no idea that she had a court date. Apparently neither did her attorney because he was a complete no show. Yeah. Now he is also Chad's attorney in yes. representing him in this, in mm-hmm. this uh, situation as well. And yeah, so Mark he- Mead. Mark Beans. Yeah. And he no showed on his clients. Mm-hmm. And if you have watched uh, the episode of this podcast where we talk about the bail reduction hearing, you will know that Mark Means is, um, shall we say it nicely and say he's a bit in over his head on this case? Uh, that was and- nice. That was like way nice. Yeah. Well, you know. The I mean, thing is, some people would say is a complete incompetent dumbass, but you know, <laughs> well, that would be another way of saying it. Yes, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, anyway, but, you know, so what was the recourse? They continued it. So, yeah, you know, I mean, there's not much. There's not do. much they can do. You so can't that's- really penalize someone sitting in jail if their attorney doesn't show up because right. they don't have any control over that. Yeah. Well, and she didn't seem to even know she had a date so yeah i'm sure this will be mark means claiming that everybody's being mean to him again and that he I had no sure. idea and, you know it's all about him so, and getting picked on we all know it 
Yeah. Well, he still does not seem to know how to do his job. But right. that's that's Lori's fish to fry. Mm-hmm. And Chad, since he's representing both of them, at least right now. Yeah. That'll change. But anyway, so those were some of the, the biggies that came out. The other one is that two weeks ago, the Madison County prosecutor, Rob Wood, had filed a petition to Lori and to, to Mr. Means wanting um, some discovery items from them to, you know, preparing to go to court. They were all in relation to uh, psychological evaluations mm-hmm. uh, and also asking for their intention in, um, you know, what their defense is in regards to psychological matters. Uh, right. What do you want to say about that? Well, so first of all, Lori did have a psych eval in Arizona um, mm-hmm. after some things had gone down with Charles and there were some threats, mm-hmm. that you know, he was going to die and a bunch of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is all third party. And so it's hard to know exactly, but I will, I'll say this, according to some statements I've read, she told them exactly what she believes about being one of the 144,000 and being a God and, you know, all of mm-hmm. that stuff. And some people have been really angry that there was no action taken on that. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that you have to understand First of all, religious beliefs are heavily protected in the U.S., right? Really, really important. Yeah. Um, You know, kind of the whole reason we came here in the first place kind of thing. Yeah. So religious beliefs are protected. Also, just because you believe something that seems wacky to somebody else, but you have not harmed anyone or um, harmed yourself and you are fully capable of caring for yourself. So unless you are an actual credible threat to yourself or someone else, or you are unable to care for yourself or your children, those beliefs are not a reason to hospitalize someone or to take any further actions psychologically. And so even though, you know, all of that seems wacky as we read it, the reality is there was no actionable anything. Yeah. She made a couple of statements about that, that Charles was going to die, maybe even said he, she was going to kill him. They were all third party. Mm-hmm. And um, she never, there was never proven any actual attempt. Mm-hmm. Had there been, and it was proven, it would be a different story. But maybe there's not really anything yeah. they can do. Um, adults have rights. You know, you you can't just say a person is crazy because you don't like what they believe and put them in a hospital. It doesn't work that way. It has to be, it's very specific criteria to deem someone, you know, unsafe. Yeah. And she, she definitely did not meet that criteria at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know everybody kind of goes, how can this be? But yeah. I also think though that Lori's, she's a master manipulator. You know, oh, she, she, is. she knows what to say. Well, and I got to tell you, having worked She's in not mental crazy. health, this pretty little blonde woman mm-hmm. uh, knows how to use her wiles. I have no doubt. I've seen it happen before. Um, I used to work with teenage girls and, and teenage girls would just have their psychiatrist wrapped around their little finger because they mm-hmm. knew how to use their femaleness mm-hmm. to manipulate. And and I have no doubt that yeah. Lori is a master at that. Yeah. Yeah. And knows how to say the right words. You right. Know? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Well, and that's a part of uh, t- that leads us nicely into the next thing we want to discuss. And that is the body cam footage of yes. the police officer that responded 
clear back in January 2019. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to recap it for you. So Charles, her husband at the time, her, her husband who has now been killed by her brother, was in uh, Texas on a business trip. Mm-hmm. She called him and told him that she he is no longer Charles. He is now, uh, he's been invaded by a demon named Nick Schneider. Thank you. I want to say Cypher so bad. Nick Schneider. Mm-hmm. And that uh, she will kill him. You know, she threatened his life uh, actually repeatedly. Mm-hmm. That she, she would kill him. Uh, she had also had told him uh, previously that uh, she is a god who has a, a mission on this earth. And that if he gets in her way, she would kill him. Yeah. She let him know that she was no longer interested in taking care of these kids and he needed to come and get them because she was all done with this. Mm-hmm. And again, couldn't carry forth her mission if with these kids in her way, essentially. So yeah. that had happened. She also, all in the same day, she canceled his plane ticket to come home. She took $35,000 out of his business account. He couldn't even make his payroll or anything because she stole all of that money from him and locked him out of their home and stole his pickup from the airport. So when he, you know, was able to get a flight in and got to the airport, his truck was gone. Their Bishop, a guy named Gabe picked him up. There's a Mormon an LDS Bishop picked him up. He did have a conference call with her where basically she told him that she had gotten rid of everything that he owned, which she had all of his clothing were completely gone. And told him not to come to the house, that he wasn't welcome there, and that he wasn't Charles anymore. He was this demon named Nick. Yeah. So, or Ned, depending on which uh, email you read. There's a couple yeah. of versions of that name. A mm-hmm, couple versions of that name. Yep, the last name remains the same, but uh, Nick or Ned. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Charles, by that evening, is frantic about, well, what the hell to do. His money is gone. His car is gone. His children are gone. He calls the police. They come to his home. He's outside of their house. And he doesn't even want to go in the house without a police officer present. Partly because he knows he's going to have to break in. Because Mm -hmm. his keys were in his pickup that she stole. So he had no way to get in. And so he wanted to make sure the police were there in case she was there and there was a confrontation and also to help him, you know, to witness him breaking into his home so that he didn't have an issue. Um, We're going to share a few snippets of that here Mm -hmm. right now so that you guys can get a sense of, you know, what he was uh, going through and what he was telling the cops. So we'll do that now. So what's going on tonight? I can't get in touch with my, my kids. How old are your kids? Six and a half and sixteen. Okay. Um, How long have you been trying? Two days. Okay. But she, she's lost her mind. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to say it. We're LDS. She thinks she's a resurrected being and a and a a god. And remember the hundred forty-four thousand. She's come. Jesus is coming next year. She took all the money out of her bank account today. My truck has gone from the airport. She went to the airport and got it. I just flew in from Houston, from Dallas. Houston and Dallas. So, uh, so where's your truck? I don't know. 
Right. Took a good friend of mine's truck to pick me up. I went to the CSI to file a report, uh, which is the community bridges or something, to file a report. So you did, ordered, you did you did the petition? Yeah, they ordered a pickup. Okay. What they time did, did you do, do that? Hour and a half ago. Okay. So what makes her a danger to herself and she to others? She threatened me, murder me, kill me. She threatened to murder you? Yes. And she said How did she do that? By my bishop right there is in the car. He was on the phone with me today when she said, I will have you destroyed. That's what she said there. Okay, that's not that's not a threat to kill you. Yesterday was a threat to kill me. Today, okay. course, what did, what did she say yesterday? She said, you're not Charles. I don't know who you are, what you did with Charles, but I can murder you now with my powers. Okay. Okay. All right. She says, you're gonna, I'm going to kill you too. I'm going to, uh, yesterday was, I'm going to So gonna she's speaking you. as a spiritual being. She's, she's not here. She's okay. lost her reality. Is, has, is this, is this just all recent or has it been it's going on? been going on for about four or five years. It's gotten really, really bad lately. She goes to the temple every day and speaks with Moroni and Jesus Christ. And they tell her what to do. And now she came here today and last couple of days she says, I'm not Charles. Uh, you're not Charles. You're Nick. Schneider, where she gets his names from. She got all this stuff from these people in Utah who uh, tell her how many past lives she's had and, and, and probation she's had. And she's uh, uh, was married to Moroni back way back when, and she's also married to James the Just. And uh, uh, okay, this is all foreign to me. So <laughs> it's just it's foreign to me. Well, I'm not LDS. It's crazy, it's crazy stuff. I know you're using it's, LDS terms here, I... I know, but it's just it's okay. just she's she's nonsensical. Okay. And I haven't seen my. Is he the older one or the younger he's one? Young. He's six and a half years old. Okay. Okay. I want to do this now. You've got a pickup order. Am I correct? We do. Okay. If she doesn't answer, mm-hmm. what do we do? If she Can doesn't answer, we can't. We, we can't enforce the order. Can I break into my house? Do you live here? Yes, I do. Okay. My lease. I'll you, pay the lease. Do you guys have any orders of protections against you? No, we do not. So, no, no, no police reports. No, nothing. Okay. So how does she pose a threat to your children? I don't know what she's going to do with them. I don't know if she's going to flee with them. She's going to hurt them. You don't even know if she's here, right? Today on the phone. I can't. All the cars are good. The garage is closed. I don't know. She locked the garage door. I know. I haven't been up there yet. I know. But what I'm... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. What I'm saying is, do you normally park two vehicles in the garage, inside the garage? Correct. Okay. So it's a possibility that her car and your truck are inside there? I don't think she could fit my truck in her car at the same time. She may put them somewhere else. She said to me, all your stuff is gone. Charles' okay. stuff is gone. Okay. You're not Charles. Your stuff is gone. I don't know what that and means. And how long have you been trying to get in touch with the kids? Since yesterday. Since yesterday? Like last night or yesterday morning? Or? About, uh landed in Houston Tuesday about 10. Okay. Why did you leave? Uh, there's a trip in Houston. Okay. And when did you leave? Tuesday morning about 5 a.m. Okay. Tuesday. All right. Wow. It's Wednesday night. So you left yesterday? Yeah. You left yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. Flew to Houston. Mm-hmm. Flew back today? Mm-hmm. Tonight. Tonight? Yeah. She canceled my flight. She came to the airport, took my truck. Um, Did she tell you that? No. It's, I know, she knows the code. She knows where it's parked. She went. Did she go with you to the airport? No, but she's been. I go to the airport. I fly 45 round trips a year. Okay. She knows where I park. I've got handicap plates because JJ's handicapped. Uh-huh. So, Did you file a stolen... No, I, report with I, I know she took it. How do you know? You suspect. I suspect. Okay. okay. I suspect. All right. I know your term. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. But without concrete evidence, we no can't concrete. say. I for suspect. Sure. Okay. okay. 
and she has the keys, the code, our, it's a Ford, the code, door code. Door code. And um, I just want to see my boys okay, and she's got a pickup order. I need to go, she needs to go, and I'm going to take my stuff. So you normally live here? Yeah, oh yeah, I live here. Okay. Yeah. All my stuff's in my house. Okay. We've got a service dog in there, beautiful dog. My daughter's in the front window right there. So let me ask you this, when you came back, why didn't you just go to the home? Because she told me not to come near it. All my stuff is gone. Okay. I'm not stupid. She could have done anything. Okay. I thought this would be the best way to do it. With what she's gone through and what Gabe witnessed with me on the phone today, I thought it was best to have her. She's psychologically, she's gone. Something's Okay. So, I mean, here you hear a frantic dad who is in tears over not it's knowing where his son awful. is. It's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking. He is, you know, trying to explain to the officer how, you know, off her rocker she has become. He tells the police officer she's at the temple every single day praying so that she can have conversations with uh, Moroni and Jesus Christ. Nobody goes to the temple every day. That's really excessive. I mean, some couples like will set a goal to go once a week, but going every day is that's really excessive. Uh, uh, that really struck me. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, he said that this stuff had been building for a few years, but that it was just, it, it was worse than ever, that he did not trust her with the kids because of, you know, her saying that she didn't want them, that mm-hmm. he was in fear of his life because of the things she said to him. Uh, the police officer started off being really dismissive. Um, I felt like he got a little more compassionate as the conversation went on. They finally get into the garage to discover that all four cars are gone that should be there. Mm. Their, his, their nephew, Zach, had been living with them at the same time. And he Zach claims that he moved out that day. That Lori sat him down, told her him all of this stuff that she was, you know, the believing in. And that Charles wasn't Charles, that he was this other person. And he says he loaded up his car and left that day. Charles says that he called him many, many, many times trying to get into the home and he never answered. But so that's a conversation for another day, probably. But it is of note that he they did have a nephew living there. He mm-hmm. is the son of Adam Cox. So that's Lori's nephew. Yeah. Uh, one thing to note about Charles is that he was extremely generous to Lori's family. Yeah. He, he helped care for Lori's family in a lot of ways. Um, and his friends all say that that's just the kind of dude he was. He was a really generous and giving guy. Mm-hmm. They lived in a mansion in Arizona, an absolute mansion. Uh, I had read that the rent on that home was $7,000 a month. Good heavens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a far cry from Chad's house. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> anyway. So, but that gives you guys a little sense of maybe who Charles was and what he was going through. He was also injured. He had an injured knee. Uh, it looks like a chronic injury. And at the end of this footage, it shows him trying to kick the door in, in the garage to get into the house. And he cannot do it. He kicks and he kicks and he kicks and it's hurting him. He's in a ton of pain. He cannot do it. Finally, the officer breaks the door down for him because he just cannot do it. Yeah. Uh, And he finally gets into his home to discover, yes, Lori's gone. The kids are gone. All of his stuff is gone. Completely gone. Mm. Yeah. And that, now she does actually come back a few days later and then disappears for two months and leaves the kids with him. Yeah. 
he files for divorce. That's when uh, the divorce decree, you know, or the divorce paperwork came out that he was in fear of his life and all of those things happened. And then by about April, they had reconciled and he had withdrawn those papers. So that's kind of the timeline. And then of course, in uh, June, he was shot and killed by her brother, Alex Cox. Um, That was initially ruled self-defense and now has been reopened and is being looked at as a suspicious death. Yeah. But we did want to share some of that body cam footage because, uh, you know what, partly just because Charles deserves that. Charles yeah. deserves justice. Charles did not deserve yeah. to die. And he no. and he's not here to tell his story. It's no. it's convenient that, um, you know, Lori vilifies all of these folks who are dead and blames so many things on them. Charles very much included. Mm-hmm. And he cannot defend himself. No, you know, it's, it's rather convenient. It's also, I think, quite telling. And honestly, I mean, Christy and I have both worked in domestic violence. We would never be the people who would doubt somebody who was claiming that they had been abused. But this case just opens some things up because, well, first of all, we know that Lori is a pathological liar. You know, she lies about everything to everybody. Yeah. But nobody in Charles's life, including his ex-wife, yeah, have had any kind of violent encounter with him. No. And they all said there's no, no it's just not him. I got to say also that he was violent. That Lori's behavior isn't indicative of a victim at all. No, it isn't. A victim wouldn't do all of those things. If they were running, they mm-hmm. would run. And they would not say where they were going. And they would not do all of those things to incite the other person. Mm-hmm. Their goal would be to protect themselves and their children, not mm-hmm. to piss them off to this level, you know, to right. steal everything from them, lock them out of their house, take their car. N- no, that is no. not what yeah. um, an actual victim of domestic violence would do if they were leaving. No. They would disappear without a trace. That mm-hmm. would be the plan. And she totally. left a huge trail and, you know, told him exactly what mm-hmm. she was doing. And no, that's that's not mm-hmm. domestic violence at all. Well, and well, it kind of is, but it's more on her part to him on her part. Right. She, she does not act like a victim of abuse at all. No, no, she doesn't. Well, they he tried to serve her with divorce papers and she dodged him all over the place. Oh, yeah. Know? She just she did for a long time. She didn't want to get divorced. Yeah. 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 Pretty interesting. So let's move on to probably the blockbuster of the week. And that right. is, yeah. So Nate Eaton from East Idaho News and now Dateline, I guess. he's he, They're kind of collaborating on this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he finally managed to track down and interview Melanie Gibb. He did a three-part interview. You can find it here on YouTube or you can find it over at eastidahonews.com. Uh, two or three uh, 30 minute blocks of an interview with Melanie Gibb. It is the first and only one she's given. I don't believe she's giving another one. This, it was big to, to get this interview with her. It really was. There's a little conjecture there that inner circle person that really, Mm -hmm. you know, because, uh, Melanie, uh, Pulowski, all she does is talk in circles. Melanie Gibb actually answered the questions that were asked. She did. Nate said that he sat down with over 300 questions for her and that she answered every one of them. Now she might not have answered them completely to his satisfaction, but she did answer them. Potentially not truthfully, but she didn't just evade and evade like uh, Melanie Pulowski has. So, and the interview early, which Melanie Pulowski did. Yes. So she, she did try. I highly recommend that you guys go watch those. 
but we're going to give you a bit of a recap. Before we do, let's talk a little bit about who Melanie Gibb is. Yeah. Melanie Gibb was Lori's best friend in Arizona. They lived in the same ward. Uh, they were into a lot of the same beliefs and teachings. They both were into the preparing of people stuff. They shared a podcast together. Mm -hmm. They traveled around together uh, a little, going to the preparing of people events. That's how they met Chad. Uh, Melanie claims that she was there when Lori met Chad, that they were together mm -hmm. at an event at that time. Uh, she uh, also got divorced. So you guys will find this interesting, I think. She got divorced uh, on August in August 2019. That sound familiar? Yeah, sure That's does. about the same time that Melanie Pulowski got divorced. It's about the same time that Ian Pulowski got divorced. It's mm -hmm. about the same time that Charles died. And fast forward two more months, that Tammy died. All yeah. of these couples uncoupled and recoupled. And so mm -hmm. did she. She is now dating David Warwick. David mm -hmm. Warwick is another visionary, such as Chad, who uh, was doing events for preparing a people and talking on Melanie and Lori's podcast, a uh, very similar kind of guy. Yeah. Yet again. And, and there's a, some, I don't think so. Right. So there's some conjecture. I was going to ask you what your opinion is on this, that uh, this was one of those couplings that Chad and Lori had arranged. Most definitely. Yeah. Because, um, and Melanie says this in, in the interview that she was, present with them as they were choosing the people that are the 144,000, the people that are supposed to be part of this chosen group of people and that she mm -hmm. was one of them. They did identify her as one of them. So I'm sure mm -hmm. they, you know, determined that her husband was a minus 4.3 dark or whatever. I mean, I think he's lucky to get out with his life mm -hmm. um, and, and, and determined someone else that she was supposed to be with. I have mm -hmm. no doubt. She did not say that. Um, I feel like throughout right. this interview, she downplayed her role and downplayed a lot about mm -hmm. her connection to this situation and, and her own behavior in her life because of this situation. Yes. Yeah. Except that you, you cannot deny she did exactly the same thing. The rest of them did, except she didn't kill her husband, you know, yeah. that's about yeah. or try to kill her mm -hmm. husband. That's about right. the only difference. That's about but, it. Dude, hey, wherever you are, man, get out of there. Yep. Yep. She has four sons, and she's from a dysfunctional family in North Carolina, according to her book jacket. She has no formal education. Uh, she did write a book called Feel the Fire. Uh, her book is about helping others to find joy, peace, and happiness. Uh, she says, while experiencing a breakdown from challenges that came from being raised in a dysfunctional family and the challenges that came from marriage and raising challenging children, she has an autistic child as well. Yes. Melanie experienced something that changed her life forever. Basically, it's a, you know, coming onto onto Christ kind of a detail. Yeah. And <clears throat> she had a website. She was podcasting about it. She had her guests. She had this thing she was doing with Lori. That has all come to a screeching halt. Um, and when all of this went down last fall, she actually had moved to Utah. All four of her children had gone to live with her ex-husband, and she had gone to live in Utah with her boyfriend uh, hiding out because yeah. she was worried about her own safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she did say that, that she mm -hmm. was, she has been hiding. It's why no one's heard from her, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because she is a very sought after person because she was very close to this situation as the yep. Chad and Lori relationship was forming. And mm -hmm. as a lot of what's happened was, you know, kind of 
le- was leading up to the things that have happened. Yeah. Yeah. She was involved in a lot of their conversations, heard a lot of the things that they had to say. And one of the things that in the interview, she said a lot was different or interesting or unusual. Mm-hmm. Those were her terminology almost always for things that other people might have thought were pretty out there or odd like or strange zombies or crazy. Or yeah. Opening portals so people can visit each other or stuff like that. Yeah. So when Charles died, I mean, Melanie had been spending like, you know, with, was with Lori practically daily and things had kind of, they'd mm-hmm. separated a little. Uh, she, when Charles died, she didn't know. And a few days after Charles died, Lori called her and said, well, I guess you've seen the news. And she said, no, I don't watch the news. And she said, oh, well, Charles is dead. And she was amazed because Chad and Lori had been prophesizing that Charles was going to die. Yeah. And that Tammy was going to die. And so Charles dying was a huge like, oh, my God, they've been saying this was going to happen. And now it has happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Should have been a big red flag. Maybe it didn't seem like it was on her part. You know, she, to me, my my impression of her is that she's a pretty vulnerable person. Mm-hmm. And she's a person who is a follower. And yeah. I do feel like she just went along with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she has probably got a pattern of doing things because people with stronger personalities around her tell her to, or say it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like she doesn't have a really clear sense of her own identity. And mm-hmm. it, throughout that interview, it just kept striking me that it was just like, well, they said it. So it was true. Like, yeah. And, and she says, she says, that's not the case. But her but she does, in does this. not bear that out at all. No, and she does uh, refer to herself as gullible and naive. Yeah. In and the it, interview. She clearly is, but I think it's deeper than that. My sense of her is that she really lacks her own identity. And I feel like she latched on to Lori, probably had kind of a hero worship kind of relationship with Lori mm-hmm. and went along with whatever because Lori said it. And then yeah. sort of transferred that also to Chad because even throughout mm-hmm. all of this, she keeps saying he's a wonderful man. Oh, she yeah. just kept saying that. And I was like, mm-hmm. dude, after everything? Yeah. You know, yeah. really? She said some things like, I'm not one to gossip. You know, I'm not one to speak poorly of anyone. Those are very uh, Mormon women uh, tendencies. Well, and it's the very thing that you say right before you do gossip. I mean, right. <laughs> True. But it is. She, you know, she said she was very uncomfortable there talking to Nate about all of this stuff because it's not her way to be a gossip, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going, bro, you're reporting what you know about two people that have allegedly killed like five people. This isn't yeah. gossip, you right. know? Well, and also, it, it it really makes me question, I, I don't know, I just, there's just something off about her mm-hmm. that I just really feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like Chad and Lori really trusted her. I feel like they felt like they could they trust must her have. to do anything by, mm-hmm. you know, by 
asking her to lie about having JJ and asking mm-hmm. her to lie to the police. They had an impression of her mm-hmm. that she would do whatever they wanted her to do. Yes, they did. Yes. Fortunately they did. for her, she's not quite that stupid, yep. but um, yep. I really do feel like they, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have taken that risk unless they really truly thought that she would just go along with whatever. Well, she did go along with a lot. She did. So here's how she says they met. She says that they met in 2018, that they had gone to an event in St. George, Utah for a conference where Chad was speaking, that Lori walked right up to Chad and started talking to him and the conversation got personal quickly and that Chad told Lori that they had met in previous lifetimes and had been married multiple times before in prior existences. This was when they met. Yeah. She said they started talking about these different beliefs that are not something you learn in church. (laughs) She said they discussed things out loud that normally would be talked about privately. Uh, She said that uh, Tammy and the kids were not at this conference, but Lori was very aware that he was married. They exchanged phone numbers and started talking every single day. Yeah. Uh, Within weeks of that conference, Chad visited Lori at her home. They came for another event and a bunch of people stayed at Lori's home for this event, Chad being one of them. Uh, Charles was out of town on business, but she filled the house up with these uh, her preparing of people friends, including Chad. And Chad did something that um, he called was installing a portal in her closet so that she could contact him directly, spiritually. Yeah. I don't know if that helps the value of the house or not, but... <laughs> If you want to go talk to Chad, there's a portal in Lori's closet. You know, I wondered if why if he could do that, why doesn't he install one in the jail so she can get out? Just right. <laughs> it's true. So at any rate, that's kind of where things took off from then. Then we know all of the other things that have happened. I won't waste our time hashing through all of those. If you don't know, go watch previous videos and you will know. But, uh, you know, that led to her, all the stuff that we just talked about with her and Charles. She slipped away to Hawaii, to Idaho, to a few different places it looked like for a couple of months, came back. They reconciled. Then in June, uh, Alex, her brother, shot and killed Charles in what was called self-defense that we now believe was not self-defense, blah, blah, blah. Uh, In August, she decided that she needed to move to Rexburg. Conveniently where Chad lives. Mm Mm-hmm. And moved the children to Rexburg. She got rid of uh, JJ's service dog and rented a townhome in Rexburg. So did her brother. And then uh, shortly after, her niece, Melanie Boudreaux, all in the same complex. We, all, mm-hmm. we know all of that. Well, Melanie flew to Rexburg to come and stay. And Melanie Gibb. Melanie Gibb. It's confusing now because there's two Melanies. There's two Melanies. <laughs> Melanie Gibb had come to stay in Rexburg uh, for a few days with Lori. And every morning early, she discovered what happens is that Lori and Chad go walking at BYU-Idaho on their track. Holding hands, kissing, lovey-dovey, acting like a married couple. And Chad has a wife. Mm -hmm. This is out in the open in a small town. In a small town. That, yeah. that one amazed me. I mean, there's some real um, guts in that. Yeah. Uh, she asked him or asked Lori, aren't you worried about people seeing that? And she said, oh, he says Tammy doesn't come out to the side of town. 
but she probably didn't. She worked at a school. She was probably getting up and going to school in another town. Yeah. But still, that really got me. It also just got me. I don't know that I could just carry on with a friend who I knew was having an affair with her and yeah. her boyfriend. That would bother me a lot. And yeah. uh, in in Melanie's shoes, particularly being a, a fervent LDS woman, I don't understand that, how that didn't bother her more than it did. Again, hero worshiping Lori. Whatever mm-hmm. Lori does, Lori can do no wrong. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things that struck me that they she said that Chad and Lori said many times, was, you know, when asked, mm-hmm. like, why are you teaching things that are against the doctrine of the LDS church or different than that? They would say things like, well, we know more. We know yeah. more than they do. And so they just set themselves up as being these, you know, high level spiritual beings. And so everything they did was okay because they knew more, mm-hmm. you know, which was really just. A, a game to do whatever they wanted, you know, yeah. but she seemed to buy into that belief that, Oh, mm-hmm. they know more. They understand things. I don't understand. Therefore it's okay. Yeah. yeah, totally. Chad had told Lori, she experienced 21 lives and Chad was on his 31st life. And that, uh, at one probations. point, probations, probations. That's what they called them. Yes. Then and they gave Chad- them a different name so that they didn't know that like, you know, right. The, the Hindus and, the Buddhists sound, have been, right. you know, believing in reincarnation for eons. Right. Uh, it's it kind of like they, a little different, better, of course. They yeah. sort of act like they invented it, which just cracks me right. up because, you know, <laughs> a huge population of the planet believes in past lives. Believe in past lives. Yeah, that's not a new belief in any way. No. Uh, interestingly, uh, they were doing temple work together, which is another very strange thing. I have never heard of people who were married to others going to the temple together. Mm -hmm. But that apparently had been happening as well. So lots of things happening. So, But they were doing special things in the temple that most people don't know about and don't do. Right, right, of course. Like speaking directly to Jesus Christ and directly to the angel Moroni, or Captain Moroni as they refer to him. Well, and Lori had told Melanie that she was sealed to Chad in the temple. Yes. Which she couldn't have been sealed to Chad in the temple because Chad was married to someone else. But she says that it was done by those on the other side who had the authority to do so. So, right. yeah, always some special privilege, some special mm-hmm. knowledge or connection that allowed them to just do whatever they want, which I think led directly to all of the things that they have done mm-hmm. and believing that, you know, they, they know better. So it's okay. Totally. Totally. So all of that happened while Melanie was there. Of course, she had saw no sign of Tylee because this was around the 19th of September. This is about 10 days after Tylee has never been seen again. Yes. She asked where Tylee was. Lori told her she was at BYU, Idaho. Which is, by the way, in Rexburg. In Rexburg. <laughs> it's I the mean, same town. It's not unheard of to think she could have been living in a dorm on camp. She wasn't. But to mm-hmm. think, except for that she was 16. Yeah. She was 16. She yeah. was not she a college have been, student. No. And even if she was enrolled, she wouldn't have been living on campus at 16. No. no. But she took that dancer uh, to heart. As gospel, JJ like everything there. else. She said JJ was there and that Lori told her that she needed to get rid of JJ, that she just couldn't fulfill her mission with him. It was just too difficult. Uh, you well, know, he'd become she, a zombie. Yes, he had become a zombie. 
Annie was too difficult to take care of and she couldn't do her work. So Melanie helped her hatch a plan. So here was the plan. She was going to ask Kay and Larry Woodcock if they would take JJ and raise him. Okay. Remember those names? I hope you do. Yeah. And that's what she thought was happening. After she left, uh, a week or two after she left, Lori called her and said that Kay had received JJ with open arms. They had this very sweet farewell at the airport. She told her this big tale about being at the airport and having this sweet farewell Mm -hmm. and sending JJ off into Kay's arms, who was now going to take care of him. Yeah. So... You know, that happened. And so, you know, <laughs> except it her. didn't. <laughs> yeah. Melanie believed her. Okay. So Tylee's mm-hmm. at college. That makes sense. It didn't, but okay. I guess she had her GED. So to her, it, that made sense. Um, you know, JJ has now gone to live with Kay, who, you know, is more than happy to raise him. So, okay, great. All's well that ends well. Okay. So she hasn't really talked to them very much. And one day, two days before Thanksgiving, she gets a very nervous phone call from Chad. And those were her words. She said, Chad acted very nervous. And he said, Melanie, I need you to do something for me. Pick up the patriarchy here. I mean, it was very Mm -hmm. patriarchal, you know, Mm -hmm. I am your superior. You Mm -hmm. will, you will. When the police call you, you tell them that JJ is with you. Well, when the police called her, she wasn't available. She didn't answer the phone. She didn't know who was calling. And then Lori called her. Lori acted not nervous at all. She actually acted completely normal and said, hey, don't worry. Everything's completely fine. I've got it handled. It's just that the police, uh, we told them that you had JJ at Frozen 2. So if you wouldn't mind just going over to the theater and snapping a picture of the marquee and maybe of some kids playing so that it can be more credible and just let them know JJ's with you. There's a few problems with this story. They had told the police that she was with uh, that JJ or that JJ was with her in Arizona. Yeah. Guess what? She's not she in, was Arizona. in Arizona. She was in Utah at her boyfriend's house. She didn't tell the police that. She realized, I think, at that point, and some people really believe this was because of her boyfriend that he really that David uh, really leaned in on this. Um, she cracked and told the police everything that she knew. Uh, she says that she's still in regular contact with some of the investigators. Nate asked her if she has an attorney and she said she doesn't need one because God is on her side. So there you go with that. Let's hope. (laughs) So, you know, a little time goes by. She, Lori, after Tammy dies, Lori calls her. This is another story that goes off the rails and and I want to tell you why. Lori calls her and tells her that uh, she had Chad's children to her house for cookies uh, after the funeral just mm-hmm. so that she, she really wanted to meet them and get to know them. And then she told Melanie that the kids loved her and it was just mm-hmm. really wonderful. You know, they loved her. They just put their mother in the ground and their dad's mit- mistress is having them over for cookies. How Sounds wonderful. great. Sounds yeah. great. Right after the police came looking for the kids, And, of course, these two took off, Chad and Lori. Chad went to California and took a trip with his kids. They went and did the whole, like, California, you know, experience and went to, I'm going to assume Disneyland, SeaWorld, whatever, a bunch of stuff like that. 
there's no real evidence that Lori did or didn't go on that trip. Nobody really seems to know for sure. The thing that really sticks in my craw about all of that is that after Chad came back, there was a series of screenshots shared from one of Chad's sons talking to a friend who said that his dad met a widow in Hawaii and fell in love and they just got married and it's just the craziest thing. Yeah. Well, that doesn't support the idea that those kids were at Lori's house having cookies or that sure maybe doesn't. she went on vacation with them before they went to Hawaii and got married. There's some real holes in this story that I think are really interesting. And, and I don't have, you know, I don't know for sure what did happen there. There's some conjecture that during that time while he was on vacation with them that she was in Las Vegas uh, overseeing the marriages of her, her brother Alex to Zalima and mm. to Melanie and Ian. No one's, no one's saying. Melanie sure didn't say that she was in Vegas with them. She sure didn't. She didn't say she wasn't. But she she was asked specifically in, in that interview, who was there with you? And she did not say, Lori. Right. She never did. No. So there's a piece of the puzzle there that is not filled in for me. Yeah. The other thing of interest I thought about that was that Lori apparently told Melanie that her actions, activities here, nobody was going to notice or care because in the end of 2019, such a horrible earthquake was going to strike Utah uh, and strike the church headquarters. Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, that nobody was going to really notice or care at all about what she was up to. Here's why that's so wild. When Alex and that whole crew all got married in Las Vegas. The next thing that happened is that Ian and Melanie came back to Rexburg and Melanie says that Alex and Zulima stayed in Las Vegas for a few days to prepare earthquakes to hit Utah. Right. Uh, that big earthquake did not happen. However, uh, in April, maybe March or April, a big earthquake did hit Utah. Uh, with a, it, it was March. Lake. It was March. Was it March? With a bunch of big aftershocks. In fact, they're still having an occasional aftershock. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting coincidence. But at well, any rate, they were trying to roll out a big earthquake to, uh, you know, really rock the church back on its heels and how, take how, the attention off know, of Lori. Create an earthquake. How you do. Yeah. But how you do. But, you know, one of the things that happened with that earthquake in Salt Lake City is on all Mormon temples, temples if you don't know, the angel Moroni is on the top of the temple with his trumpet. Mm -hmm. And Moroni's trumpet fell off the Salt Lake City temple. Yeah, and that is a big deal. Him mm -hmm. losing his trumpet is actually there's some kind of prophecy about, um, you know, something major end times kind of stuff coming if that ever happens. Mm -hmm. And it did actually and happen. It did happen. Yeah. 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 It was Crazy all of us around here where we live, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy times. So that all happens. Well, then Chad and Lori go to uh, Hawaii. They get married. Melanie's a little Supposedly, pissed. Supposedly. There's a Supposedly. lot of question about whether they actually are legally married. No one's sure. Right. And here's why. Chad, or sorry, Lori told Melanie that she was getting about $6,000 a month in social security for her kids and for herself in, in death benefits for Charles. 
Well, well if she, no, Charles and Joe, because oh, Tylee right, wouldn't Charles be getting for, for Charles. She'd be getting for Joe. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Too many names. Yes. <laughs> it gets confusing. So six grand a month she's been raking in. Well, if she marries before she turns 60, she will lose those benefits. Right. And there is no record of them getting married. Now, Hawaii doesn't make marriage records public anyway, so we might not have had access to that anyhow, but there is no actual proof that they actually were legally married. Uh, There's a real suspicion here that this was more of a civil, you know, just a commitment ceremony kind of thing. A commitment type ceremony. You know, she was already claiming that they had been sealed in the temple, you know, so there's, yeah, and I think that's that feels more accurate to me that they actually get legally married, but after they had been there, Melanie, you know, now the kids have been announced. The police are announcing that the children are missing. There's a big hubbub. Anyone who knows them, and now Alex is dead, which Melanie, uh, you know, lived near him and, you know, lived in the same ward mm-hmm. as him, was involved in that in some, not in his death, I don't mean, but, you know, and the fact that he passed, she's now a little pissed. It's finally occurred to her that uh, they threw her under the bus. And she calls Chad's phone. She said Lori had already changed all of her phone numbers essentially. Because she had three cell phones. She had three different cell phones. She had one special cell phone that was just for her and Chad. I mean, this doesn't seem like an affair. What? No. So she anyway, she called Chad's phone expecting that Lori would answer, which she did. Uh, she had also put another friend on the call who she didn't name. She referred to, Melanie referred to another friend quite a few times in this interview who I think we don't know. Yeah, she wouldn't give their name. She wouldn't give their name, but that person was with her on this call. She got on speakerphone with Chad and Lori. She told them that she doesn't have a testimony of what they are teaching. A lot of people have been confused about what that means. That's a very LDS term. Yes. To say that you don't have a testimony of something means that you don't feel it in your heart. You, God has not revealed that to be true to you. Yes. That's what she says. It means when she says that. But the things they're saying don't are not resonating with her as true. She's not receiving a message from God that they are true. In case you're wondering what that term means. I saw a lot of confusion about that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where her... She's not really talking to Lori after that. That kind of just ends things for them. And then, of course, uh, you know, she is on the witness list. And, you know, he, Nate asked her, how are you going to feel when you are sitting on that stand, you know, only a few feet from Lori testifying essentially against her and against Mm -hmm. Chad. And she's heartbroken. She still absolutely loves Lori. She loves Chad. She said that over and over again. She referred to them both as saying what a what a wonderful man he is, Mm -hmm. which still very strange question her judgment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very strange, but she has provided a plethora of interesting information. Oh my goodness! Yeah, anything that I didn't touch on that jumped out at you? Uh, well, okay, a couple of things. So one thing, um, at one point she asked Lori why they didn't just get a divorce. Why didn't they just divorce their spouses so they could be Uh together? And she said, because Chad was told, now this is one of his revelations, uh, that they were not allowed to get divorced and that Uh their spouses would understand in time. A little creepy to say Uh something like that and for their spouses to now both be dead. 
So he had indicated that Tammy was going to be completely fine with this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that would be, it would be totally okay. Yeah. The other thing that struck what an me honor to be married to these gods, That's right? Exactly. Like that yeah. they were part of this whole belief system, which we know they were not, but yeah, whatever. So the other thing that just really struck me as she was talking and talking about what happened, sort of like the lightning strike that happened when those two met each other mm-hmm. was it's, it's kind of a Bonnie and Clyde kind of a situation. You yeah. have two sociopaths, Mm-hmm. with some real delusional tendencies yeah. who are kind of a mess separately. And well, you know, and you get them together and yep. they are a deadly combination. You've, there are, there are yep. serial killer teams mm-hmm. that are very similar to this. And it just struck me that that's exactly what they are. They are. That separately, they may not have ever killed anybody, Yep. but, but you together. put them together and they mm-hmm. feed each other's delusions. They, they yep. feed that, that superiority complex and suddenly they are a tremendously dangerous combination. Yeah, for sure. She called them. um, Well, she said that they are enormously bad for each other and she called them a fatal attraction. Fatal attraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they have fed each other's delusions and so much Mm -hmm. and keep them going it's a very yeah. dangerous situation because I honestly think from everything that I've learned about this case, they a hundred percent believe their own shit. They believe all yeah. of this. Oh, yeah. They believe that they're gods. They believe that they know more, that they're acting on a higher spiritual plane, that they, Definitely. what they've done was not wrong and that they're fulfilling their missions. They believe this. They do a hundred percent. They do. Now yeah. the interesting part about that, the other part I wanted to mention just is that, because we, we talked about the psychological evaluation that Lori had had. One mm-hmm. thing you need to know is that Idaho does not have an insanity defense. No. They cannot use that um, for Lori. No. Um, also, the only way they'd really be able to use anything like that is if she were to have a psychological evaluation that deemed her unfit for trial. And to be right. unfit for trial, she would have to not understand the legal process. Mm-hmm. She would have to have the ability to not understand what she had done wrong. Yeah. It mostly fits for people with a severe developmental disability yeah. and occasionally a really severe mental illness. But that yeah. does not hardly ever happen in Idaho. A no. mental health defense is getting her nowhere here. No. So I'm very no. curious to see mm-hmm. what their defense actually is. Right. Well, and like you had said earlier, that's a far cry from claiming the kids are fine. It is a far cry from claiming the kids are fine. Um, But I feel I just keep I just in my head. I'm like, what are they going to present as defense here? You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I suspect that Mark Means doesn't have a clue. What hey, I suspect I, I that as well. He's grasping at scrolls. He doesn't know. I, I feel like he's just going to continually fight procedural things. Yeah. But when it comes thought. down to an actual trial, because mm-hmm. I highly doubt they're going to plead, no. you know, this preliminary hearing that's coming up in yeah. June um, is July or yeah. July. They're not going to take a plea. No way. Because um, for one, they would not. Um, I don't think that the judge would go for a plea if they didn't reveal the location of the children. Right. Right. And, and for two, they absolutely don't, she doesn't believe she's done anything wrong. Right. So they're going to try to go to trial Mm -hmm. with what defense, with what defense? We'll see. They don't have one. No, they don't. I'm really curious. Trying to claim that she was hiding the children from Kay and Larry, but 
holy shit, Melanie just shot that clear out of the water, didn't she? She did. I think that was probably one of the most damning things that she said in that interview yeah. was that they she had that she and Lori had made this plan that JJ was going to go live there. Uh-huh. Well, if they are yep. such a threat, why right. would you be making that plan? You well, know? She also told the police that. You know, when the police yeah. came to do a, a wellness check, that is what she told them. Yes. One of the lies she told them after Little the did they know that it was through. Kay that had asked for the well check to, the welfare in check person. to begin with. Yeah. yeah. So all of that shoots holes in that defense 100%. There's zero proof yeah. that no. she was protecting the children from them. Yeah. No proof at all. Well, that's a lot to unpack. Whew. Yes, so it is. We're going to invite you guys to go and watch those. If you haven't, I highly recommend you do. My phone's been ringing for days from people calling me and texting me going, have you seen? Of course I've seen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wild stuff. It is. We are the Psychic Sisters. We do this show. Uh, you know, you might be wondering, somebody asked us in our chat, how come you're calling yourself the Psychic Sisters, but on this Valo case, this is all just, you know, verifiable information. Well, because we're veering a little away from our normal scheme, you know, from mm -hmm. our normal uh, setup of our show, because this case is, close to home. It's in the town I live in. It's in the town that Christy and I were uh, raised in. Yeah. Uh, we are former Mormons. We understand this, uh, this culture and this religion in ways that a lot of other people don't. That's why. So in case yep. you're wondering, that's why, and that's why we'll continue to cover this case uh, through its completion, if there yeah. ever is one, because it's an important one. And because there's two missing kids that deserve to see the light of day here in some way. Right. So right. They, they deserve why. justice as do the other people who are dead. Absolutely. So, yep. We have a Patreon account. If you yes, love what we're doing here and you want to support us, just head over to Patreon. Look for True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. If you become a patron, you get some additional content every month that not everybody gets. So we have a few different levels of uh, uh, what is it called? Sponsorship mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, that you can subscribe to. We appreciate that. We appreciate the support very much so that we can mm -hmm. keep this podcast going. Yeah. Of course, come and find us on YouTube and like and subscribe and comment. We appreciate that so much. And if you're watching this on YouTube, know that it's also a podcast that you can find on pretty much every podcasting platform. So yes. that's who we are and what we do. Yeah. <laughs> But we want to thank you guys so much for listening today. We will be back soon with another case, something else. And then we'll be back, I'm sure, with more Valo family drama. Yeah. You have been listening to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care, guys. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.